Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. So good to be with you. Uh, for those of you who, who may not know me, my name is David Harrington. I'm the location pastor uh, here um, at our, at our Sunset Hills location, Brian, our lead pastor, which by the way, uh, it's his birthday today. Brian turns 47 today, so make sure you, uh, you know, give him a shout out on, on his Facebook page or something like that. I'm sure they're singing to him at the city location right now, and I wish I could be there to see his face. Um, but uh, it's his birthday, so say happy birthday to him, but he's at our city location uh, right now leading, leading there, and, um, and, uh, and so... Thankful to be together this morning. I'm, I'm excited to get into uh, the word today and, what, and see what God has to say to us. Um, let me pray for us real quick. Lord, I just, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Uh, God, that you would, uh, Lord, as we look at your scripture, as we look at your word, um, that you would reveal things in our hearts, that you would speak purpose and truth in us, that you would set us free from things that are weighing us down in our life. And this morning, in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, um, anyone, any, anyone a Bob Ross fan in here? Any Bobby Ross fans? Bob? Yes, okay, several people. Okay, good, good. I'm not alone. I'm a big Bob Ross fan. Um, uh, my kids love Bob Ross, the, uh, but the problem is, is that I cannot watch him for more than 60 seconds before I fall asleep. I cannot do it. It, it doesn't matter if it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. If you're not familiar with Bob Ross, he's the happy trees guy. Like, he does the painting show, and he just talks in the soothest voice, and he paints beautiful pictures, and... Occasionally, he beats the devil out of his paintbrush. And uh, so that's Bob Ross. And, and my kids, they love all things art. So they like to watch him paint things. And I'm not joking. I cannot. I fall asleep every time I watch him. Uh, there's something about his voice. So I don't know how it turns out, but I hear he's pretty good. Uh, but here's what I pick up on at the start of the episode. Start of the episode. This, is, this always struck me when we first started watching him. Because I'm like, why does he do that? He always starts by taking a canvas and painting a solid color over it. Even if that solid color is white, which was odd. Like, why do you take a white canvas and you paint something which is a shade of white over that thing? And, 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 and what I learned, what I've learned is that artists, they paint one solid color over the canvas because that is a foundational color that is going to influence the rest of the painting. Like, as what they do is they, they, see, if Bob asked me, said, David, paint me a mountain with some happy trees, I would get a piece of paper, and I would outline a mountain, and I would start filling it in. That's what I do. But not, not master painters. That's not what they do. They take a canvas, and they lay a foundation, and they come on top of that with another color. They lay another, and they lay another, and they draw, and, and as they work out, this beautiful picture comes together. And that's what a master painter does in that foundational color. It influences everything else. It impacts all the other colors that are laid on top of it. And, and I think about that when I think about the Apostle Paul who's written this letter to the Galatians. And I think Paul is a master builder. By the grace of God, he's a master builder. And what he has been doing in this letter to the Galatian church, like if you've been with us, we've been walking through this entire letter that he has written to the Galatian church. And he has been laying foundational colors throughout this. 
He's been reminding the Galatians back to the very things that started their faith in God because because there was some disruption, there was some confusion, there were people coming into the church in their midst that were stirring things up. And Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. And he just starts painting. Just remember that your faith in God, your life in God, it started in the spirit. It didn't start by being a good person. It started by you receiving the good work that Jesus Christ has done. And that is so, and I, and I mention this because as we get into this final chapter that Paul has written to the Galatians, it, if we jump past the foundational colors, that Paul, the foundational things that Paul has laid, we will get off track. Because Paul's going to lean into, and this is kind of a therefore chapter, because this is true, because we have been forgiven, because we have been set free, because we have received something that we did not deserve and that we could never earn, because of those things, therefore, that when those things are alive in our heart, it's going to have a transformational work in our life. And he's going to give us a picture of really what the church in our life in the church should look like. And so, so please, please, please hear. Don't, don't hear today. Great. Here's the things that we got to get to doing because we've been saying this a lot throughout this series. This is not about, this is not about, okay, now here's the thing you got to go do. Because that's what Paul's pushing against. He's pushing against the idea that somehow we do things to make God happy with us. No, 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 no. We've received something from God. We have been given something which enables us and frees us to walk with him. And so with grace and with truth and with life in the spirit and being full of God and with our, with our affection being who God is, Paul's gonna say some things that I think will challenge us. It challenged me as I, as I got into this text. And we're gonna look at and just start in verse one, uh, chap, uh, chapter six, verse one. And he says, he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And this is the, so this is, this is the first therefore statement. Paul's saying, hey, this is what the church is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like a family together. And when they catch each other, who doing the wrong thing there should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Now this is, we say yes and amen, but this is massively countercultural. This is massively counter. We live in a cancel culture. If we, can, if we can dig something up on you, if we can find something that you tweeted, if we can uncover something ugly or broken, the cry from our society is that for you and those around you to be dropped and to remove away from you. That's what our culture does. That's what our, we move away from each other. If we don't agree, if you don't think the way that I think, if, we don't, if you don't vote the way that I vote, if you don't parent the way that I parent, if you, don't, if you don't live the way that I live, the culture, what the culture does, it says you go find other people who do think like you, live like you, vote like you, and you hang out with them and you remove yourselves from other people. We distance. There's massive division in our culture. And this is not to be the way that the bride of Christ operates. Paul doesn't say cancel each other. He says, restore one another. We are to be a family who with gentleness 
can't skip that word, with gentleness, Paul says, restores those who have, get this, discovered to be in sin. Notice he says, those who are caught in a transgression. So these aren't people who are coming and confessing what they've done wrong. They're not coming and asking and saying, I'm so sorry, I've done this. He's saying, this is how we treat people who have been caught in wrongdoing. That's tough. The church is to have a culture of mercy and grace and forgiveness who longs to see people gently restored. And this is not the way of the world. This is otherworldly. It's of a different kingdom than the one we see around us. It, but it is. Where do we find it? We find it in the heart of God. And I think one of the most beautiful pictures that we see this on display in the heart of God is we read, when we read in John and we come across the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. If you haven't heard this story, many, if you've been in church, you probably have heard this story. But this story, the, the, John tells a story in his gospel of a woman who was caught, again, caught, not confessing, caught in the act of adultery. She was having an affair. And, the, and a group catches her and they bring her before Jesus. And they want her to be judged. And she's done something wrong. I thought about this, what if her husband, like how would you feel if you went home today and found your spouse in bed with another person? Like how angry would you be? How much would you be a little, at least a little bit wanting some judgment? She's doing a terrible thing. She's hurting people. We don't know if she was having an affair with someone who was married to someone else. Like, we don't know. But it's a bad situation. And so this mob brings her before Jesus, the Holy One. Jesus, who's never sinned, who's never done anything wrong. In fact, the only one who has the authority, the rightful authority to pass judgment on her. And the mom says to Jesus, he says, hey, we've caught her. She's sinned. She deserves judgment. What does Jesus do? He says... You who haven't sinned, you who haven't sinned, you judge her. They wanted to stone her. He says, you throw the first stone. And he waits and he kneels, kneels down and he's writing something in the ground. And it says that one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they walked away. Because if you're being honest, if we're being honest with ourselves, which one of us hasn't sinned? Which one of us has met the standard, which is perfection that God has set, to be able to judge and to cast stones? Jesus stands after the crowd is gone and he says, woman, he said, does anyone condemn you? And she says, no, not one. And he says, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. Jesus was one who gently restored those who were lost and broken and making terrible decisions with their life. That means that the church is meant to be a family of people who gently 
restore those who are lost and broken and making terrible decisions. This is why Paul's foundations he laid are so important because this is not an easy thing to do and we've got to come back to the foundation. We've got to come back to the grace. We've got to come back to the truth because this is not something we can just, we can just white knuckle it and do like, yeah, I'm gonna love like Jesus. I'm gonna do it. That's, that's a really easy thing to say. That's really hard in the offense, in the face of an offense of something done terribly wrong against you. That's a very difficult thing to love, to, to live out. And the only way we can do that, the only way we can do that is if we live in the love of God that we have received and did not deserve. That is, that is foundational, that as a family, as Christians, we live in this space and with this awareness, when, when we treat someone else a way that they do not deserve, we re, we're doing that with full remembrance that we have been treated in a way that we did not deserve. Well, who's responsible to live like this? Paul says, you who are spiritual. Do you claim to be spiritual? It reminds me of my wife and I went through this um, love and respect marriage thing years ago, and he was talking about conflict. And as I'm sure you would know, whether you're married or not, it's hard to be the one who resolves, like takes the first step when you're mad at somebody. And he said, who sh and he just said this, and this isn't in the Bible, but I think it's really good. He said, um, he said, who should initiate resolving the conflict, the husband or the wife? And he goes, well, whoever considers themselves more mature. It's like, gosh, dang it, man. I think about that every time I don't want to resolve a conflict. Like, man, if she does it, then she's more mature than me. It, Paul, it's kind of that same tone. Paul's like, Paul's speaking to everyone. He says, he says, who's responsible for this? You who are spiritual. You claim Jesus? Do you claim God? Do you claim knowing him? You who are spiritual? Well, if you do, you're responsible to live like this. The church, the church is responsible to live like this. And this isn't somebody's job. This is not like, okay, it's Kurt and Joel's job. They're the super spiritual ones. So they got to live like this. And all of us, we get to sit back on our computers and clap back and troll. And, and you know what I mean? All the things. Like we can make that snarky comment and we can say, I can't believe they did this. And we can pass judgment sitting on the backside of our, sitting on a, in a chair in front of a screen posting things. No, Paul says, no, you are responsible to live like this. If Christ is alive in you, if you have received what you do not deserve, then you are to live in a spirit of gentleness and working towards restoration of others. And then it's as if Paul says, sensing, sensing, this is how I, this is, this is where I go, guys. And when he says, yeah, the church should be this way, that's, I say, yeah, the church should be that way. Come on, church. And I remove myself from the church and it's a real temptation. Like the church should be that way. The church should be more gentle. The church should be more concerned with restoration. And it's almost as if Paul knows that's a temptation for us to go. And he, so he, he makes this kind of church responsibility statement and he goes personal responsibility and he follows it with this. He says, keep watch on yourself. Keep watch on yourself. Lest you too be tempted. What do you mean keep watch on myself? This is the church's job. No, 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 keep watch on yourself, he says. Where are your eyes right now? You see, the enemy is at work for us to fixate ourselves on other groups and other people in situations outside of us and say, that's the problem. God, 
his disciples, his word, the apostle Paul, they are constantly turning our eyes inward and say, look at your own heart. If you want the church to be like this, that means we have to be like this. That means David has to be like this. Personal responsibility. And we, when we, when we turn on one another, pride has taken hold. Living with the awareness, living with this awareness that we could be tempted or we have been tempted or we have sinned or we have fallen short. When we live, when we live with that awareness, pride doesn't come rushing in, humility comes rushing in. And that's at the heart of God. Humility is in the heart of God. We need humility if we're going to gently restore one another. And I want to point out a pattern that I just picked up as I read through these verses. Paul kind of goes in a pattern where he makes a statement to the church. This is what the church should look like. And then he follows it with this statement of personal responsibility. He says, this is what your life should look like. He's waging war against that temptation to look outside of ourselves and say, yeah, they got to get that right. So he says to everyone, restore those caught in sin and gentleness. He says, watch yourself, lest you too be tempted. And then he says this in verse two. I mean, I could spend all day on this verse, but I won't. Don't worry. Verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Here's his everyone's statement. Who's he talking? He's talking to the whole Galatian church. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a family responsibility. It's family. It's, it's, a, we sh- it's a shared responsibility to come alongside one another. He's moved, he, he's moved from sin to dealing with sin to, to life on life with each other. The community is to share in the responsibility of caring for one another, of lifting each other up, of encouraging one another to see in, excuse me, to see each other in their need, in their struggle, in their hardship, whatever that may be, and to come alongside them, not to stand back and say, yeah, someone should really take care of that over there. Man, like, that's a real big problem. Like, who's gonna do something about it? Like, that is honestly, that's where we typically tend to go. But Paul says, no, 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 the church is a church, is a community of people that comes alongside and it lifts our heads and looks in our eyes and says, I'm with you, I'm with you. And it gets really messy in that place. It gets really messy in that place. Life on life is messy. But listen, God entered our mess. He entered our mess. And he wants us to enter each other's messes because he can work beautiful things through that heart and through that love for one another. He wants to do miracles. He wants to set free. He wants us to walk with and shoulder with each other. I mean, this is why community group exists. Like if you're not in a group, I just wanna encourage you to get in a group. Like the reason why community group even exists is not so that we can have an extra meeting during the week. Oh man, like I never wake up and think, man, I want another meeting in the week. That's not, what's ha- that's not why they exist. Community groups exist. The whole reason we have small groups that meet throughout the week is because we want people to enter into a space with the hope that they might find family and friends who will live this verse out with them and bear with them and love them, and know them, and say they want, they want to be known. That's our hope. 
In fact, one of our uh, members, church members here, Marie, is here, and she has recently shared um, her testimony with me, and I just felt like, man, this is so the space we want to live in. And so I've asked her to come and share. Marie, you want to come on up here? Can you all welcome Marie as she comes? You want to hold her? You want me to hold it for you? All right. So like David said, I just wrote um, my testimony of just my experience with community, community group recently, and he asked me to share it, so I'm just going to read it with you guys. Um, so it says, our community group has been the biggest blessing to me recently. Within the past year, I had to make the hard decision to cut off communication with my parents and extended family for the time being. I have been working through and healing from some traumatic experiences I've lived through as a child, and I have felt and experienced professional guidance to decide that it's healthiest for me in this time to remain disconnected. Although this has made me feel extremely lonely and isolated at times, God has blessed me with a family within our community group. Although I'm lacking the presence of my earthly and motherly mother, my earthly mother and father in my life at this moment, God has abundantly filled my life with spiritual mothers and fathers within our group and within this church. He's teaching me that even though my family is wounded and broken, because of Jesus, I am now part of the bigger family of God. He is the ultimate provider, and he has provided me what I've needed in this season specifically through our community group. Recently, God has placed this verse in my heart um, just during this time, and as I walk through this, um, it's Ephesians 2, 18 through 19, and it says, for through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and the saints and the members of the household of God. Thank you, Marie. Amen. That's what we're going for, church. And we're going for people to understand and know that there's a God who loves them, who died for them, and the opportunity to come alongside and walk with them. And that story just didn't, you know, it, it didn't just magically happen. Marie's story didn't magically happen. It happened because people in her group, individuals in her group, decided that they were going to love on her, know her, encourage her and God did a be, has done a be, starting to work a beautiful thing in her life amen I mean that's what we want we want to bear with one another we want to be a family that comes around one another and I just if and, and I guess again if you're not in a group I just want to invite you to take that step right push past the awkwardness push past the difficulty like get in there and be intentional about being doing life on life with, with one another, and you can, if you, if you, you can just use your Connect card to, um, to sign up for, to, to be involved in one of those. If you do, I'll contact you this afternoon and give you information about uh, groups that are gonna be meeting this week. But this, this is what the church is, is called to be like, this place of beauty and restoration and bearing with one another. Whose responsibility is it? What's the church's? And Paul comes in in verse three, and he follows it with a, another kind of word directly to me and to you. He says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. What's this about? We go from bearing with one another, we go from restoring those in sin to bearing with one another, to this statement that Paul makes. What's he talking about? Well, some in the Galatian church may have thought that they were too elevated in status, too high up on the food chain to help those whom they considered beneath them. And it's important for Paul to make sure that while community, we understand the church is responsible to live like this, that we do not see ourselves excused from living like this in any way, shape, or form. And we are really good at excuses. I know because I'm very good at excuses. I mean, Marie's story, it, did, it didn't just happen. Didn't it just happen? And here's the thing, we're all at risk. Now, I don't know how many of us identify with like, yeah, I'm too good to help with other people, but, which could have been, which very much, very much could be, have been happening in the Galatian church and because they were, a lot of them were at least being tempted to adopt these, the Mosaic law and these Jewish customs that would have made them more acceptable, like more right before God, which was a lie. But here's what I would say. I would say that I think all of us can be tempted to let pride sneak in and for us to have excuses of why we don't live this way, of why we don't care for one another, why we don't bear one another's burdens. And this is what pride is. This really helped me years ago. Someone told me pride, I used to always think about pride being like this, this like arrogant, haughty, too good. That's what I thought of when I thought of pride. But that's actually, that's just one element of pride. The reality is, is pride is, is, the, is in us anytime we take a thought or a belief and we elevate that over what God says. That's what pride is. So here's, here's so pride works its way out this way. If we think that, um, if uh, we think that we are too good, if we think that we are too elevated, that is pride. But here's the other thing that's on the other end of pride. If we think we're not good enough, well, if we don't know enough, if we haven't got our life right enough, then we can hold back from actually stepping into this ministry of restoring and bearing with one another because we're not good enough. And you know what? That's actually pride. Because pride is elevating our thoughts and words over God's. And if you are in Christ, do you know what God says? God's, if you're in Christ, God says, look, hey, first of all, no one's too good. All fall short, all right? All fall short of the uh, deserving of the grace of God. All fall short. So we're all in the camp. We have all fallen short. There's one. The other thought is that, man, I'm not good enough. Well, God says, no, 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 look, I have set you free. I have forgiven you. I have actually seated you in heavenly places. You used to be what you did in your sin and your brokenness and your mess. But now, if you're in Christ, you are a daughter or son of the king. And that's who you are. And you don't operate from your past mistakes or your present. You operate from a place of who you are in God and who he says you are. And he says that he has redeemed you and he has set you free so that you can participate with him, serving with him to ministering to others. We gotta guard our heart from pride. 
We gotta let, we gotta guard our heart from letting our voice and our thoughts become greater and elevated over his. The church will live this way when it has received the grace and truth of God. You and I will live this way when we have received the grace and truth of God. Paul continues in this vein, making these broad statements about the church and then following it with our personal investment in it. Verse six, he says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So he says in verse six, we share all good things with those who are teaching and serving us. Yes, the church should be generous. Yes, the church should be caring towards those who are serving them. And he follows with verse seven, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Then he, so he follows the, we all share good, with, good things with, uh, with those who serve us and teach us, and he says, but you are responsible for how you sow. He says, you're responsible for how you live. You're responsible for how you live. Am I holding on to all my good things because I've worked too hard to share them? I've got to be, do I, do I, you know, how, I've got to be generous. How generous do I have to be? He says God's not mocked. God sees past all of our external actions. He sees that very to our heart, to the motivations of why we do what we do in every single situation. God is aware that if we are being generous so that we can get the approval of man, he's aware of that, he sees it. He sees what's in our heart. We can do all the quote unquote right things on the outside and our heart can be so far from God. If we're caught up in our appearances and what people think of us and getting people to like us. He says, God's not mocked. How are you sowing? How are you living your life? Because when we are caught up, again, when we are caught up, when we have received this grace and this mercy and this truth, it will have a transformative work in our heart. Spirit wants to walk with us, to empower us, to live radical countercultural lives. And I don't say countercultural because we're against culture. Countercultural is just means that we have a different set of values than the established culture around us. That's all it means. God wants us to reach our culture. He wants us to reach people with his love and his truth and his mercy and his grace. And I, 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 I've, brought, I've mentioned this pattern several times. The reason why I point this pattern out, Paul goes through and he makes this everyone statement and then he talks to us. And he makes this everyone statement and then he talks to us. The reason why I think that's really important for us to see is because we are to be caught up. The church, like we are to have this beautiful picture of what the church is called to be and called to live like. We are meant to see the church, Christ, the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ, we're meant to have this, 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 this view in this image of what we are to be like, but not to mistake that we are called to live in that. You, God has a plan for your life, and so easily we remove ourselves from those things. But Paul's wanting, I just think that Paul's wanting to hammer home. You have a call. He has set you apart. He has loved you. He has forgiven you. He has given grace to David Harrington. He has extended mercy to David Harrington. He has a purpose and a plan for my life. He has a plan for your life. Are we living with that awareness? 
Are we waiting on someone else to do something? Are we waiting on an area of our life to get cleaned up? These are distractions. Pauses, come on. So, walk with God. Love him. Make him the object of your affection. He's equipped you with the Holy Spirit. Every time we think, I could never do that, be warned. God loves to take people who can never do things and have them do those things. That's who his Holy Spirit is. His Holy Spirit, who raised Christ from the dead, he has extended and bestowed upon us. He can do anything. He can can change any circumstance. He can change any situation. He can change any life. That's who he is. And he has called you and I. He has called you and I to, because he wants to work through us to turn the kingdom of this world upside down on his head. To usher in, to, to usher in the kingdom of God into our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. In his kingdom, we give away. In his kingdom, we see others. We lay down our preferences. We consider others more important. We bestow dignity on those who fall short. We extend forgiveness to those who aren't apologizing to restore others, to see others healed, to see others redeemed. When the truth of God and the grace of God become active in our life, we don't seek to get others to do more for us. We seek to lay our life down for others because that's what Christ did for us. That is what God has done. That is who he is. He died. Romans says he died not when we were asking for his help, but when we were rejecting him. That's who he is. He loved us when we were shunning him. And the God over all things and in all things, who is holding all things together, the one who has called you by name, who has set you apart, who has said he loves you and he forgives you, He has purchased you with a price that no one else could pay. His bride, his church is created to be a radical, countercultural, Holy Spirit-filled, truth-speaking, grace-extending family, a community of people where each and every one of us has a part to play. And that's one of the reasons, in fact, we, we, one of the reasons we offer Growth Track. You hear us talking about Growth Track all the time, every Sunday. We talk about Growth Track. One of the reasons, like the primary reason we offer Growth Track is because we believe this and we want a space to unpack how God has equipped you and gifted you and uniquely loved you and put things in you to bless and serve others. I want to invite you to be a part of that. If you haven't been a part of our growth track, join us today. Join us this afternoon online. Use your Connect card to sign up and join us. We're going to unpack this more and more in that class today about how God has equipped you to bless others. We believe that. He has a purpose for our life. He has given us a beautiful calling. Can we stand and pray and ask God to help us to be this kind of church to thank him for setting us free and setting us apart so that we might reach others and so that we might see others restored so that we might bear with one another. We need, we can't do this in our own strength. Holy Spirit, we just ask you for your help. We just say, Jesus, thank you, God. Thank you for extending to us what we do not deserve. Thank you for loving us even though we were unlovely. Thank you for forgiving us even though we didn't deserve it. God, we just thank you. It's a beautiful thing what you've done for us. 
And we want to live like you, Jesus. We wanna walk in your steps. We wanna follow you. We wanna see, Lord, people who are lost and broken be restored and brought into your family, into your kingdom, to experience healing, to experience life with you. We just ask for your help, Jesus, in your